0: You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Hey, good morning. If you can find your seats, that would be awesome. Awesome. I am so glad you're here this morning. It would be a terrible thing to be standing up here alone. Um, So I'm glad you're here. And if you're new, like Jake said, um, and we haven't had a chance to meet, my name's Alice Collins, and I am a partner here at Midtown. I'm also on staff as the Connection and Assimilation Director. And so I'm the one who gets those little cards that have your name on it. And I'm the one, or Josh, sends you the little card, um, the Starbucks card. So please, if you're new, give us your information. I'd love to connect with you. People are my thing. I love people. And I'm going to give a plug for why it is you should keep coming for the next several weeks as we do Psalms. We do Psalms of the Summer every year. This is our fifth or sixth time through Psalms of the Summer Cliff and I have been here for about five or six years doing, um, coming to church here. So about three years ago, not only did I come to hear from God, but I came to hear because the interesting things about Psalms of the summer that's not necessarily true the rest of the time is we choose the Psalms ourselves. Consequently, you get not only to hear from God, but you get to hear a little bit about us. You get a glimpse into what it is that fires us up what it is that makes us run hard after Jesus, you get a little glimpse into why and what motivates us. And so last week, Justin taught our first uh, Psalm of the summer, and I just giggled while I listened to him because I heard myself say, he's talking about prayer. Well, of course he is. Justin is a man of prayer. And so here's the truth. When I need somebody to pray for me, you know how we all say, including me, I'll pray for you. And sometimes I do. Most of the time, I hope. But sometimes I forget. But if I say to Justin, Justin, would you pray for me? I know without a doubt that Justin's going to pray for me. Justin is a man of prayer. What motivates him is what runs in his blood. And if you didn't hear the sermon, it's well worth hearing. And additionally, he exposes some other things that are super true about him and his character. So, And I'd really encourage you to listen to that. Today, you're going to hear a little bit about what drives me. I don't know if that's good or bad, but you will. Um, And next week, you'll hear from Josh, and you'll hear what motivates him. And it will be different from Justin or myself. Same will be true about Jake and Matt. And Jake, next year we've got to get Isaiah up here because we need to hear him too. So we need to fix that next year. Anyway, this morning we're going to talk about Psalm 84. And so to give you just a little bit of ways to connect to some of the reason why Psalm 84 is what Psalm 84 is to me, I want to tell you a little bit about my background. Some of you know my story. Some of you know a lot of my story. Um, so if it's a repeat, sorry, but the highlights are kind of this. I was born into a family who uh, raised me in a denominational faith, so I knew who Jesus was. I knew what he came to do. I just was there. I understood, but it was all intellectual for me. None of it was personal, and so when things happened as a teenager that I didn't understand and my family was falling apart, my nuclear family was falling apart. I began to pray, and God didn't answer my prayer the way I expected it to him to, or the way I wanted him to, and I told him I was done. And so I basically told him to take a hike. Um, and then, <clears throat> if you know anything about history, uh, the 70s and the 80s were the um, full blown sex, drugs, and rock and roll. The 60s think they were there. It took a little while to get rolling. And by the 70s and 80s, it was in full bloom, if, we, if you will. And I embraced that lifestyle to its full. And if you know anybody that did embrace that lifestyle, that ran on the edge of the lifestyle, not the safe edge of the lifestyle, but the outside edge of the lifestyle, you know that their life didn't turn out very well. And so at 28, I was at a crossroads. My mom was dying. I was entirely disconnected from the rest of my biological family, and my personal life had imploded for, I don't know, three or four thousandth time. Um, The only thing that managed to stay intact was my professional life, thank God, because in walked a colleague who encouraged me to go to church, which I thought was a really bad idea, but... He was kind, and, he was, and his wife was lovely, and they had me over for dinner a few times, and they kept encouraging me to come. And they finally committed that they would go to churches all over town until they found me a church that I felt welcome at, um, because I already knew that there was a lot of really bad blood under my bridge, lots of dirty, nasty water. And so I didn't really think that anybody would accept me or that I'd belong. So they took me to this church, and I'll never forget, I've told this story a million times, but I will never forget the preacher that was teaching that morning, was teaching out of the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. Now I was 28 years old. I was enlightened. I was educated, like I knew better than that. Come on, what about what about the guy that 's in Africa someplace who 's never heard the name of Jesus or someplace in the in the mountains in China? like what about that guy? And so, being who I am, I walked up to the pastor and I told him, I thought he was in terribly narrow minded. And he was a great guy, so great, so kind, so generous. And he just sat and listened to me talk. And when I was done, he looked at me and he said, you know, I think God's talking to you. And so I think what would probably be important here is not the guy in China that hasn't heard the name of Jesus. But I think what's important is that you find out what God is trying to say to you. There is nothing left for me to fight with right? What do you say to that? So I turned around and walked away. Little did I know that very quickly behind the scenes, I had already made a reputation for myself. And um, they began to talk about how to help me, what would be best to help me. And so they um, they kind of turned me over to this elder and his wife. And like, I wish some of you were old enough to remember Ozzy and Harriet or Donna Reed or like is there a is there a show that you could that represents this beautiful family with three or four kids, mom and dad love each other, mom thinks dad's awesome, dad te- treats mom with respect. I don't think there are any of those TV shows anymore, but there were when I was a kid and this was that family. And I did not fit into that family. I was a tornado, I was a hurricane, I was an earthquake, I was I was an interesting thing. But they took me in, they loved me, and we would have dinner. I was single, so they'd feed me, so I'd go. And they would feed me, and they would talk about Jesus, and they would talk about the word. And one day they said, hey, um, when I had some wild question, they'd say, hey, uh, you know, I think if you read this passage and this passage and this passage, I think that might help you. And then why don't you come back and we'll talk about it? Because they were smart enough to know that I could probably take the word of God and twist it around and make it say whatever I wanted it to say. So they wanted to make sure I was still kind of actually hearing what God said. So we would do that. And what happened was this incredibly crazy thing. I got curious about what I was seeing in the Bible. So I was curious, what did it mean that God's loving kindness endured forever? What did that mean? As a matter of fact, what even was loving kindness? What did it mean that we were robed in the righteousness of Christ? And how did that have any value to me? What did it mean that Christ died, that he took on the sin of all man, and he died in order to bridge the gap. What did that mean? And here's the thing that I found out. If there is something that God wants us to know and understand, everything that we need to know is in his word. It's just a matter of digging it out. And so by this point in time, I had realized sex, drugs, and rock and roll was not where God wanted me spending my time. So I found myself with this loss of time. And as I was talking to somebody this morning about, we didn't have the internet. I know it's hard to believe there was ever a time before the internet, but there was. Nor did we have Netflix or 50 channels on TV. We had the three broadcast channels. And on Saturday morning, unless you wanted to watch cartoons, there's nothing to do. So I sat down with the Bible and with, I, I worked and I made a lot of money at that time, so I bought all the books, concordances, interlinears, interlinears, word study books, lexicons, concordances, and I would spread those books out on my kitchen table and I would just delve into the word. I'm not necessarily recommending you do it my way, I did it by words, um, which gave me disjointed things, but I learned eventually how to study passages But I learned about this God, and you know what happened? I fell in love with this God who already loved me, and I drank deeply, deeply of him. And so we're going to look at Psalm 84 today, and Psalm 84 begins with these words. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. From the very first verse the declaration of how lovely is your dwelling place. We know that this psalmist has already been in the presence of God. And he longs to be reunited with that God. And so he is, if you will, set his mind, his attention, and his focus to go to Jerusalem to worship his God. And he is moving on his journey to get there. And he's setting his mind in that direction as he remembers the place that he has been before. And you could almost hear the envy in him. Um, or let, me, let me first say this. Tim Keller quotes, uh, I'm quoting Tim Keller about this particular psalmist. He says he's fully aware, the psalmist that all of his heart's deepest longings will be satisfied not by belief in some remote, impersonal divine force, but only by the living God who is encountered as a personal living presence. And you could almost hear, I think that's true, but you could almost hear in him an envy of these sparrows who had found a nesting place at the temple their nests were near and would continue to remain near the very seat of the God that he so longed to be reunited with. And I just think that that should remind me, it did remind me of Matthew 10. Remember when Jesus says, Are not two sparrows worth more than a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's care. And then he says, So don't worry. You are worth more than many sparrows. We have great value to this God. The sparrows have their nest near the king's throne, and our psalmist so desires to get back there. And the psalmist's value to our God is so much greater. And, you know, I think that when my mind is set on God and I am moving in his direction and I'm doing the things that he wants me to do, like Life should be easy, right? No trouble. Everything should be fine. But the second thing the psalmist shows us is that um, there's strength in living in God's presence. And so he goes on to say, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose, heart, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools, They go from strength to strength till each appears before the God of Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look on your shield, O God. Look with favor on your your anointed. He reminds himself that his journey, um, that the strength in his journey comes from keeping his eyes fully fixed on God. Another translation of that um, heart set on pilgrimage is that your heart is the highway to Zion. So as you get on a highway, like, right, if I get out on 35 and I start heading north, my car, anyway, maybe not my heart, but it is going to Dallas. That's where it's headed. And that's what he's saying. His heart is on the highway to get to God. And I have found that in that path, good things and bad things sometimes happen. He goes on to say, as they pass through the valley of Baca, Baca is the place of weeping or dryness. And he says, as they pass. Not if you happen to get into a valley. Not if by some terrible turn of events or if you make a wrong turn. He just says, as they pass. So the reality is we are going to pass through valleys of weeping and dryness. That's just the truth. And as I look back over my life, I could give you 10 or 15 of them, but I don't have time somebody would yell at me if I told you that many stories. But the good news about that those valleys is that the reality is that we do move from strength to strength. And the reason I can say that with absolute certainty is because Those 10 valleys that I could tell you about right now, and there's probably 20 more of those, I'm not in them anymore. And I would swear to you that there were times in those valleys I could not move. My face was in the dirt, and there was nothing that I could do. And so the strength that came, the pools that were provided, the rain that gave me life came from only one place. I've experienced it, I've lived it, and most of you have too. I just lived a lot more. (laughs) I just had many more of those valleys. And they go from strength to strength until they see their God. And so so here's the other part of that. Though I am not in a valley today, I am also not standing face to face with my God. So the chances are pretty high that I'm going to get another valley. Maybe a big one, maybe a little one, maybe a bump in the road. But I can count on the fact that I will go from strength to strength because of what God does for me. And then the psalmist does this really interesting thing. He says, hear my prayer, O God Almighty. That could actually be translated as the God of angel armies, the commander of the legion of heaven. Like, that's a kind of lofty position. I don't see that as approaching the personal God that I know. But he wants us to see that the God we're talking about is not some little God. It's the God of angel armies. It's the one who commands the armies of heaven. And then he brings it down a little bit smaller, and he refers to God as the God of Jacob, the God of his forefathers. God made a promise to Abraham that has been passed down, and he is in that line of promise. And then he goes even further to ask the God in a more personal way, his God in a more personal way, to look on him with favor. He's boldly going to God, asking for help. reminds me of... Um, Paul talking about the fact that we have confidence to boldly approach the throne of grace. Um, That's an amazing thing that this God of angel armies would do that for us. This is a description of people whose hearts are really set, right? They're walking in that direction Their heart is the highway to God himself. They are moving in that direction. And the psalmist moves on to talk about the fulfillment of living in God's presence. He says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be the doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows bestows favor and honor, no good thing. Does he withhold from those who walk is blameless? Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Better is one day in his courts. For me, of course it is. Of course it is. I, I truly feel with Paul, I can say absent from the body is present with the Lord and way better. But God doesn't have me there right now. So I'm here but I long for that day when I see Jesus face to face and I am finally like him because I'm so not like him today. More like him today than I was 40 years ago, but I am not like him the way I want to be like him. And there will be a day, an appointed time, when I will see him face to face and I will be like him. And that day is exciting to me. And the psalmist is saying to be in his presence, to be in the presence of the one that he loves, is amazing. Because remember the story I started with about sex, drugs, rock and roll, and the mess that was underneath my bridge? It reminded me of Deuteronomy 13.10 that says, In a desert land he found him, in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him, he cared for him, and he guarded him as the apple of his eye. That's what God does for us. That's what God did for me. He, Like, I didn't deserve to be picked up out of that mess. I had wrecked my life. I had wrecked the lives of people I had been connected to. And I wrecked the lives of people who didn't even know my name. I did not deserve the intervention that God gave me. But he did. He found me in that place. And he shielded me and he protected me. And part of that was those sweet people who taught me how to study the word of God. That allowed me to drink deeply of who he was. And so when those times came, and they have come many times, where something has happened, life has changed. And I lose the ability or lose the time or don't make the time to spend with God. And I become a little dry, a little brittle. Anybody dry, a little brittle, a little weak around the edges? I'm reminded. I know how to go back and drink deeply from all that God has taught me. He goes on to talk about, um, and I'll talk about this. I more time than I thought uh, about the fact that. Uh, God is a sun and a shield. Those are easy metaphors to, to understand. The sun gives us light and illumination. Um, Psalm um uh, 119:105 says the Lord is the your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. A shield is a an item of protection. Um, Psalm 1835 says, you make your saving help my shield and your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. And he asks for the honor and favor that is bestowed on those who love him. And then I really want to camp for a minute, if 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 you'll indulge me, on this idea that he withholds no good things from those who walk blameless before him. The reason I want to camp here is because my understanding of what it means to walk blameless before God changed my life. I don't walk blameless. I don't. And if I were to stand up here and tell you I walk blameless, there are at least two people sitting in this room that would call me a liar. Because they live with me. And they've lived with me for a long time. And were it not for them, there are other people in this room who also know me that would maybe not say you're a liar because they're nicer, but they would use some adjective that would indicate that I was not telling the truth, or at least I'm not entirely telling the truth. I, in and of myself, do not walk blameless. I sin, I do things wrong, I hurt people both knowingly and not knowingly. I don't walk blameless, but here's the thing that is transformational. I do walk blameless before God, and how the heck did that happen? Well, let me tell you. If you take a look at 2 Corinthians 2, um, 5, 21, it says that God made him, meaning Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become... The righteousness of God Jesus dying in our place the one who was sinless who took on our sin and was crucified to pay the price for my sin the exchange in that was he got my sin and I got his righteousness that was the trade Crazy trade, but I have been clothed in his righteousness. Were that enough, Romans 3.22 says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus to all who believe. So it's not, it, like, I didn't get it special Like, nobody got it special. We got it because we placed our faith in Jesus. And we didn't get it because we learned how to study the Bible, and we learned all the right things. We got it the moment we placed our faith in Jesus. We were clothed in his righteousness. We began to walk blameless before the Lord. Because Jesus had taken all that sin. Paul says of himself in Philippians 3.9, And being found in him, meaning Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith and faith alone. And how else can could this psalmist possibly have ended this psalm except to say, blessed is the one who trusts in you? How could you possibly say anything else? I trust in the fact that I walk blamelessly before the Lord, and he withholds no good thing from me. And I'll tell you one other story. Um, When I was young in the faith, so I was probably, I don't know, see, 28, four years, maybe four years as a Christian, um, the same sweet, fabulous elder and his wife um, were still loving on me. And by this time, I had gotten some Bible knowledge. And so I was at this place somebody taught on, God withholds no good thing. And so I decided that I was going to have a conversation. Because you know what it says in Genesis? I was single, by the way. You know what it says in Genesis? It says that it is not good for man to be alone. That's what it says. And so I went and I told them, look, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm without a husband. Therefore, God's withholding a good thing for me. Now, I laughed today because it was such a bad thing. It would have been terrible for some poor guy to be stuck with me as a wife at that point in time. It may still be a bad thing for some poor man to be stuck with me as a wife. But it it was a really bad thing. And so one of the things that happened in that, that, was the turning point for me of deciding, was I going to believe the truth, which the truth says, God withholds no good thing from me. And it doesn't just say it there, it says it other places too. So was I going to believe the truth or was I going to look at my circumstances and judge my, judge the truth based on my circumstances? And I had a choice. I had a choice. And so I began to choose based on. They were so kind. They probably could have said, "Pity the poor man who married you," at that point. Um, but they didn't. They were too kind for that. But um, but th- but I can look back with 2020 hindsight, 37 years ago, to that time, and say that was really a good gift to me. Was for me not to be married. But I didn't see that then. And there are loads of those things in my life that I thought, that's not a good thing, Lord. And sometimes I've had the blessing of hindsight to go, oh, wow, really good thing. Like there were a couple guys I wanted to marry and I thought, really good thing that I didn't. Anyway, I would just say that sometimes we have to make a choice on what we believe. Are we going to believe the truth, or are we going to believe our circumstances? And so, as I as I end this, and I and I want to call you to some kind of action, because I think that that always is what God wants. There are somebody some of you in this room who don't really know Jesus. Like when you think about better is one day in His courts, you're thinking, eh, maybe, but. But I'm, like, having fun. And I would tell you that when I was embracing the lifestyle that I embraced when I was in my uh, 20s, I was having fun. Like, I enjoyed my life. It was great. Now, the fact that I was uh, causing wreckage and damage everywhere I went, like, I didn't see that. I was just having, a, I was just having fun. Um, and I wouldn't have said necessarily, I mean, I could probably would have said, like, I don't know, like, are we going to be up there with harps and, like, sorry, Isaiah, it's probably a great worship service, really. But, like, is it going to be like that? Like, are, are we just going to stand around um, singing? Like, it doesn't sound very enticing to me. Um, it still doesn't, actually, so I think there would be more to heaven than that. Um, or is it, or... Uh, do you, but knowing God, sorry, knowing God the way I know God today, I swear to you, I would rather be in his presence than anywhere in the world. I would rather see him face-to-face than do anything in the world. And you know what? I have a, a three-year-old grandson, and he is the most, if you haven't seen him, you've got to see him. He's the cutest thing you've ever seen in the world. Now, I know I'm his grandmother, so I'm supposed to feel that way. But it's really the truth. He's adorable. And as adorable as he is, as much as I love him and my two daughters and my husband and Lassa, y'all, I'd rather be in Jesus's presence. I'm sorry. I just love him. I just love him. But maybe you're not there. Maybe you don't know that. And if you're not, that's okay. Like we're, Like, I wasn't there either. We're all on a journey. We're all on a journey. And so I would just challenge you like if you don't think it would be better to be with him than any place else then ask him would you show yourself to me would you make yourself known to me and at the uh and when the worship team comes back up uh Jake will be in the back and I know he'd love to talk to you about that or if you have any other concerns he'd love to pray with you I'm sure some of you may be in the valley of Baca. been there so many times, and you feel like you're taking one step forward, and then you're flat on your face again, and all you're doing is eating dirt. I've had dirt in my mouth so many times, I couldn't, I just couldn't even consider how I was going to keep moving. And yet, remember I said there were at least 10 that I could tell you right off the top of my head? I'm not in any of those valleys anymore, so what happened? Some place along the line, I was moving from strength, to strength it was never mine like like I just want to testify I swear to you it was never mine because those valleys for me were not easy but I kept going and I got out of them and I may get into another one but I know that I know that I know that I know that God will provide the pools and the strength that I need to keep moving forward Or maybe, maybe you're living at large, and this is the best time of life, and you are so close to God that you feel like you are breathing in and out. His breath is yours. You are connected in a way that you've never been connected before, or you've been connected before, but you were away or whatever, or you felt that dryness, but you are just living it. I have been there, it is fun. It is running life in a way that I wish I could run my life 100% of the time, I just don't. But I wish I could. And if you're there, enjoy it, it is the most fun. Every place you turn, you see his hand. Every place you ask a question, you feel the answer and you are rolling. And you are loving God's people and you're loving yourself and you're loving God himself and you're loving the community around you and life is full. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. And I'm not going to be Debbie Downer and tell you that sooner or later um, they'll come a place because maybe there won't. Maybe it will always be that way. But I'm going to dismiss the ushers uh, to go get communion, Could go get the elements, and we're going to do communion in a minute. But I want you to just take a minute, and I want you to think about where am I right now? Do I know God? Like, do I really know him? Do I feel like, yeah, better is one day in his courts than a million billion elsewhere? Are you in the valley? Are you eating dirt right now? Is it hard? Is life a hand that is not any fun to play with? I'm sorry. Like, I'm super sorry. But I want you to ask him to give you what you need. And then I want you to pay attention because I promise you he will meet your need. Like, I have watched him do that for me over and over and over again. And I promise you, he will meet your need. And if you are living large and loving life and God and you are rocking and rolling, enjoy it. It is the best of life. It's the best. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.